This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to the Gospel of Luke, the 14th chapter. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were closely watching him. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by the host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, Give this person your place. And then, in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He said also to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Long time ago, back in the spring of 1987, when I was serving at the first congregation where I served, I found myself in a meeting about Vacation Bible School. We were talking about how many people, how many children we thought we would have in each of the grades, and how many volunteers we would need, both teachers and helpers and kitchen helpers and game helpers and all of that. One of the women at the table a matriarch of the congregation who had lived in the neighborhood for many, many years and had watched her children's generation grow up and marry and move out of the neighborhood even while they continued to come back to that church and claim that as their faith home. She was a little upset. She commented that if we only had to plan for the children who were members of this congregation, we could figure it out and it would be fine. But, she said, people around here now just want to send their kids from one VBS to another all summer long getting half-day free childcare. Like, that was a bad thing. We had some tense discussions, probably over a couple of weeks, maybe a month, I don't remember exactly, it was a long time ago. And through those conversations, we began to understand that her way of expressing this anxiety, this way of expressing this scarcity view of our life together was actually helpful because we saw 
that we actually had gifts in abundance. The planning team and the volunteers and most of the congregation began to realize that we were abundantly gifted, not only with people who had time to volunteer for a daytime vacation Bible school, but that we had resources for materials and snacks and games, and that we could be a place that provided a safe, fun, God-centered, half-day place for kids in the neighborhood that even included a nutritious snack. Eventually, over a couple of years, actually, through lots of conversation and lots of organizing, the neighborhood churches actually coordinated our VBS schedules so that we each took separate weeks, intentionally offering the neighborhood almost half a summer of free, God-based, safe, nutritious, fun childcare. I think eventually we even We might have even cooperated and partnered with some Methodist churches, but don't quote me on that. These were hard discussions to have because we were all struggling. We were not only struggling with this scarcity model, but we were under the impression, all of us, all of the churches, we were under the impression that if VBS was not going to be just for members, if it was going to be for people outside, that it had to be some sort of recruiting tool, that we needed to be able to get something out of it, new members, that would bring in more money, that would come to worship. I want to be clear here, too. There were also a lot of racial overtones to this conversation. The neighborhood that I was serving in and that I lived in for many years was one that had been a traditional landing spot for waves of immigrant groups over the last 150 years to this country. When the first European, northern European immigrants came and named that waterfall St. Anthony, they were newcomers. And as each new group came in, that new group were felt to be outsiders until somehow something happened. Those waves first were the Italians and the Irish and the Eastern Europeans. And then in the 80s, when I was there, it was families from African nations, from Mexico and Central and South America, from the Middle East, and African-American families from other parts of Minneapolis that were moving into this neighborhood, while those Northern European families were continued to move out to the suburbs and beyond. It was a great neighborhood of diversity when I was there, with great restaurants and really interesting shops along Central Avenue. But it also was a neighborhood with a lot of suspicion, if not outright bigotry, and lots of systemic racism that went unrecognized by the earlier immigration groups. So the comments that we heard about those children had a lot of layers of meaning that made the conversations difficult and emotional and hard to really unpack. Jesus' instructions at the end of our reading today made as little sense to his hearers in the first century of Palestine than it did to those practical-minded saints in my first congregation. The culture 
the cultural peace of first century Palestine that persists into our 21st century United States is a culture grounded in quid pro quo. Have you heard of it? What's in it for me? How do I get my fair share? If I do this for you, what are you going to do for me? And more importantly, when? In addition to all of that, we have this rugged individualism thing going on here. And if we slip into a little bit of that, it gets even more weird. If I follow these rules, well, if I use my will and my effort to fix myself, to fix my weight, my hair, to wear the right clothes, to change my attitude, to fix my performance, then I'll be good enough, right? Good enough to sit with the right people at lunch, in the lunchroom, good enough to sit in the right place on the bus, good enough to be included in the planning meetings, or be promoted, or even loved. And if to be good enough, I have to change things about myself that cannot be changed, yeah, so too bad for you, right? Since we've been raised in that kind of thinking, it's also hard for us to resist and to identify when we flip into the converse part of that thinking. That part of that thinking that says, if I'm unhealthy, if I'm underemployed or unemployed, financially in ruin, if my project didn't succeed, if my company goes under, then probably it's somehow my fault and I'm not good enough. I may not actually be called poor, lame, or blind, but I'm as much on the outside as were those people in Jesus' day. I might even find myself thinking that I'm irreparably broken, ultimately unlovable, a failure. This is the despair that we see growing in our communities around us, friends. It is that comparative, competitive, exceptionalism culture that is one of the chief causes for despair that is poisoning our communities, causing such an increase in suicide, chemical abuse, anger, the divisiveness of our political discourse. It is so hard for us to really understand Jesus and the way he describes God's reign. But come closer, beloved, because here, at this table, Jesus acts it out for us. Here at this table, Christ is both host and feast, and we all are unworthy. The corporate executive and the unemployed, the teacher, the student, the parent, the child, the church professional, the seeker, None of us deserves or could ever deserve this feast. Not one of us can repay it. And none of us has to. Everyone who comes to this table is treated equally, equally undeserving and equally beloved and welcomed. We get the same morsel of bread, the same sip of wine, no more for the job makers or for the less for the workers or even less for those that don't even fit in that box somehow. 
We're all welcomed freely and even urgently by the creator of all things, by the one who became human like us and experienced this life fully, who was executed after being tortured by the state and who did not stay dead. We are brought here by the one who gives us faith in these outrageous promises and who continues to sustain us. We are given this mystery of forgiveness and resurrection, and this mystery is for you. Having eaten, having taken Christ into our own bodies by eating and drinking, have we been, and having been freed from this Sisyphean task of being good enough, then our question is, what shall we do together? Not because we have to in order to earn it, but because we can. How can what we do with our lives, what some might call our ministry, how can we work together to join in God's mission of inviting all the poor, lame, blind, despairing, brokenhearted, addicted, selfish, angry, exhausted people to this banquet. We have to work together. It's not your call, and it's not my call alone. It's our call together. We have to keep talking to each other. We have to keep sharing the little bits and glimmers that the Holy Spirit provides to each of us so that we can see the great abundance of creative ideas It's not up to any one of us individually because it's God's mission. It's God's mission to fulfill it, and it will be fulfilled. We are not called and freed to be successful as the world defines success. We are called and fed and freed and equipped to be faithful. Because remember, we do not need to, nor could we ever, repay God for this gift. And that, my dear sisters and brothers, is really good news. Amen.